The key Bible verse for these five weeks is Romans 12.2. This is the center of what we're teaching for five weeks, Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, have your life changed, by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul writes this to Christ followers in Rome 2,000 years ago, and he's saying something very important to you and me today. He's saying he wants to transform our lives, change us, make us more hopeful, make us more positive, but how's he going to do it? He's going to do it by working and renewing our minds. A transformed life begins with changing the way we think. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed sometimes you're living your life, you're living your life, and then you need to call a timeout? And then you need to twist your thinking a little bit, reframe, and then it gives you a more positive day? It gives you a more positive outlook? Have you noticed that? The, uh, Paul says it again in Romans uh, 8.5. Those who live according to the flesh, that's the way of the world, that's the Bible's way of saying, like everybody else, those who live according to the flesh, like everybody else, have their mindset on what the flesh, everybody else, desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, God's way, have their mindset on what God's Spirit desires. Again, who's leading? Your mind is leading. Then the Bible clarifies this really clear in Philippians, where it says, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, that's all of us, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think on such things. Why do you think on such things? Well, it goes on to tell us, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. What comes first? Our thinking. What comes second? The practice of our thinking. And the God of peace will be with you. Something always leads change. In fact, uh, most of us are always looking for who can we follow? What ways, what thinking can lead our lives? Now, in our church, we're always teaching about this to our leadership. So our church is led by three senior leaders. It's led by a leadership board of 10 elders who sit around a table at least once a month. And it's led by 45 staff people, full and part-time staff people. And so we're always saying over and over again, anything we want to happen in our congregation, where does it need to happen first? It needs to happen in the leadership. In the three leaders, at the elder table, or with our 45 staff, or preferably all of them. So if we decide all at once, and we do decide this often, we need our congregation to be more prayerful. How do we get that change going? Well, it has to start with our three leaders who have to be more prayerful. It has to go to our board and it has to go to our staff. If there's not prayerfulness there, it's never going to wash over our congregation. We could add our teaching team to that. And then uh, sometimes uh, it's not prayerfulness, but it's like uh, we want to be marked by uh, engagement in the Bible. So if we want our congregation engaged in the Bible, how do we start? Our leaders, our elders. That's how, that's how a church works. That's how a family works. Dads and moms. You want your family to go this way? Where does it start? It starts with you. 
Now, this is uh, also true, and uh, these last two months, you'll know this if you've been around the church, especially our church, that the last two months, we, uh, we lift up our need for generous and sacrificial giving more than any other time of the year because the way our really system works financially is we need people to uh, make sacrificial gifts in November and December. But here's what I want you to know this morning. It doesn't start with you. It starts with the three leaders who need to look around and say, uh, are we giving ourselves a sacrificial gift beyond our regular giving? And then it needs to start with our board of elders. Are we giving a gift? And then it needs to start with our staff, and then it comes to you. And almost every letter you'll ever get from this church about fundraising says that the three senior leaders, it used to be just one leader, but now the three senior leaders have written their checks first. Because that's how leadership works. So a pastor, this is not understood very much in the church. So I, right now at my journey in my life, I'm coaching 10 or 12 pastors of large churches. That's just, God has called me to that. I'm doing it. I do it video conference. I do it on the phone. So a pastor of a large church had a project which was outside his budget. And uh, he said, Dave, I'm getting no traction. Nothing's happened. Nobody's excited about this. And I said, well, are your leaders on board? And he said, I don't know. I said, are you on board? He said, well, I think it's a great idea. I think God wants us to do it. I said, have you written your check? I said, the way leadership works is if you need to raise some money for something, the, uh, the pastor needs to be number one supporter. So he called me on Thursday. He said, Dave, I did it. I said, what did you do? I don't even remember what he's talking about. And uh, he said, I went into my savings and I wrote a $2,000 check to this project and I came to our board of elders and I told them. And some of them were really fired up for the first time. Because what? They knew how serious he was about what he felt was God's will for their church. And so I just want you to know, you know, something, here, here's the learning for the series, something always leads something else. And the Bible is so clear, well, in the church, one, the leaders need to lead, but in your life, your mind leads your life. And so what you think strongly, like Alice was saying, impacts everything about you. It impacts the decisions you make, how you raise your kids, how you interact with your neighbors. You know, how you think affects all of this. Thinking leads to, trans renewed thinking leads to transformed living. Now today, my specific assignment for today is, how can we move from living discouraged lives to hope-filled lives? And uh, I chose this one because I think it's important. I think as I talk to people all week long, that many of us have an area in our lives that we're deeply discouraged about. And it might be the direction of our country or the direction of our church or it might be the outcome of my son or it might be my health prognosis. There are things that just discourage us. And then how do we turn that discouragement to hopefulness and positivity? So four years ago, I was in a funk. I didn't really know what was causing the funk. It was uh, summer of 2013. I was in a funk. And uh, I just couldn't figure it out. What's going on with me? Because I've been most of my life a really positive, hope-filled person. And I was in a funk. And so that year, August 2013, I came to the Global Leadership Summit. And I was sitting right over there. And Dr. Henry Cloud presented a talk that really affected me and several others. He said that discouragement gets the upper hand and begins a downward spiral when, four P, when three P's are true in our lives. If you're discouraged and getting more discouraged, it's probably because there are three P's in your thinking that you need to battle. And here's the three P's he said. P number one, personalization. 
And where did he learn this? Actually, some of the big banking companies in New York City, this was uh, in 2008, hired him because their investment bankers were like depressed. They weren't doing their jobs. They were sitting at their desk looking out the window all day. And these investment banks in New York hired Henry Cloud to come in and say, pump up our people, our men and women, pump them up. They're like in this way downward spiral. So he walked in to the investment banks and he said, why are you bummed like you are? And they said, well, our clients who we love, many of them have lost 50% of their portfolios. 208, remember that? And so they said, we come to work and we sit at our desk and you know what we say to ourselves all day? It's our fault. It's my fault that John Smith lost 50% of his portfolio. It's my fault. And I don't want to call him and I don't want to see him and I don't want to think about him. And they were in this downward spiral. And then he said he also discovered that it's pervasive. That they weren't just saying, the stock market's down and he's lost, but everything's rotten about my life. I hate coming to work. I hate thinking about my job. I hate my life. It was not just uh, personal, but it was pervasive and then it's permanent. It's never going to get better. I'm sitting here at my desk looking out the window and things are never going to get better. Those are the three Ps he discovered. And he said, these banks hired him to help them change their mind so they could do life better. And so he had a dispute. It's not personal. It's not your fault. It's the market. It's everywhere. You live in New York. How about the people in California? Did they lose their money too? Yes. How about the people in Chicago? Did they? Yeah. Does that have anything to you do with you? No. So it's just, it's, it's not personal. And then he had to help them understand it's not pervasive. He said to many of them, could you, uh, could you, I, what I'm hearing you say is everything about your life is the pits. And he said, is there anything that's good in your life? Make a list. Make a list of what's good, what you're grateful for. And some of them could say, well, my health, my family. I mean, I still can recreate. I still have a faith. So they were saying, this hasn't ruined all of my life. It's just one part of my life. And then uh, they were feeling it's permanent. And he was saying, let's get out the charts. What happens to the stock market? Do you believe it'll ever go up again? Do you believe that your clients can get back their money? Maybe even more? Do you believe? And he started working on this. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is that uh, this is important that we understand there's a reason for a downward spiral of discouragement in our lives. And a lot of the reason is these three Ps, personal, um, pervasive, and permanent. And so I was sitting in the chair at the summit. Remember, I came in with, in a funk. And I said to myself, I think I understand why I'm in a funk. And this is like crazy. I was in a funk. I understood during that talk. My funkness is the fact that emotionally I'm understanding I'm getting older. Now, here's one of the things about discouragement. Some people around us know things going on before we do. Because you in the congregation have known for 30, 40 years I'm getting older. I've just figured it out. And so I went back to our church directory books. In 1987, we have a church directory. Here's a picture. See that young guy with black hair? He's like talking to kids. He's almost a kid himself. 1987, about 30 years old. 37 years old. Uh, 
So that's 87. So let me show you the picture directory of 97. Okay, a little bit older, a little more mature. Look at those other young guys, Ed and Tim. My goodness. And then so I pulled out 2012. Look at this. Who's that grizzled old man? Now, you've known this, but emotionally, I've still been like 37 years old. My kids have actually gotten older than I am emotionally. Right? And I was in a funk. I was realizing my body's not working. My body's not working. Uh, my mind's not working the way it did. I'm getting older. I don't have the stamina I did. And I was in this funk, so I said, well, okay, I'm going to try this. Sitting in the seat over there all, all in one morning. And I said, okay, personal. Then I said, you know what? Getting old is personal. It's my birthdays. And so my first answer was, that, well, that doesn't work. These are my birthdays. This is my body that doesn't respond. My gold children are older, which means I'm older. So that idea of getting rid of the personal didn't work. So then I said, well, this is pervasive too. It's affecting every part of my life. My exercise, my memory, my body, my stamina. Well, wait, this is also permanent. Nobody's age turns around and they start getting younger. And I found out, sitting in that seat that morning, that what we're talking about changing your mind is a battle. And it's not some easy, flippant thing. So then I, over time, that afternoon, that evening, the next week, I started to realize, this is a battle. And in my mind, I could, if I worked hard enough, reframe and say, you know, in some ways, getting older is a gift. I'm wiser. I know stuff I didn't know before. In some ways, getting older is a gift. And I could see some pieces of my life were actually getting better. My family was growing. Um, I, my influence was growing. And I could actually see it's not all negative. And I could see many ways that I can have some wisdom and peace that I've not had. Now, it's still a battle. And I don't know what your discouragement is this morning. I don't know. I think it could be health. Some of you have a health prognosis that it almost seems like there's no good news. Some of it could be like me, just a funk about getting doggone old. Some of you, it could be family broken relationships. Or a job you loved has just ended. I don't know where the discouragement comes from, but I want to talk about how do we, how does the Bible, how did Jesus turn discouragement into hopefulness? And this is a 24-7 kind of deal. Because what discourages you is not just in your mind, it's actually in your life. So I'm out playing tag with Kaya. Kaya's our nine, ten-year-old granddaughter who lives across the yard from us, and I'm one of her playmates. And she comes over after dark one night and says, Grandpa, let's play. And first thing you know, I'm out in the yard playing tag with her in the dark. Did I say that? And uh, she's pretty fast. I can't catch her very often. And I'm running around trying to catch her, and then she climbs our biggest apple tree. I got to go up there and touch her. Otherwise, she's just so I start climbing. And at first, I'm thinking, I'm really young. Man, I can climb this thing. Then I got to the top, and I reached out to try to get her, and I almost fell. And I said, no, you're not so young. If you hit the ground, you're going to hurt in a way that Kaya never will if she hits the ground because of how old your bones are. And so a week or two later, I'm with Kaya at the river. And uh, her grandma 
Kaya's grandma and grandma, Kaya's mom are always saying, now Dave, when you take Kaya out on these adventures, be careful with her. So we're on this bank, uh, about like this, and uh, there's these rocks that we're walking on. And it's kind of fun, and she's up ahead. And then sometimes the rocks are loose. And so I go to step on a rock, and I go down really hard. I go down, I uh, bruise up a part of my body, I've got some abrasions, I almost hit my head. And Kaya, the mountain goat, she is, she turns around, she comes back, and she's trying to decide whether to laugh at me or go for help. And so she waits until I look over at her and smile. Then she knows what she's going to do. She laughs away and says, let's get you up, Grandpa. Um, But see, things like that are still the discouragement factors that are like, you are getting old. You're not as young as, you're not not like a 10-year-old or even a 30-year-old or even a 50-year-old. You're you're older. You have to live your life a little different. So there's this discouragement factor. This battle of changing your mind and letting your mind lead in a new positive way is not easy. But it's important, the Bible says. Two years after hearing and implementing this thought about this funk I was in, then our family had the discouragement, the huge discouragement of our life when Ben, Charlie, and Bailey were killed. And... uh, I went into another time of discouragement and loss and grief. And again, it was personal. And again, I mean, it was my son. It was my grandchildren. It was personal, but I needed to reframe my thinking. It was pervasive. It affected almost every part of my life. And it was permanent. They're not coming back. And so how do you take that discouragement then and become a hope-filled person? How do you? And uh, some of you have this exact same issue. You've got an area of discouragement. It feels impossible to reframe it and get it straightened and make it hope-filled. And so uh, I want to share three things that I think might help you and me. It's helped me. First one is this. Um, I want us to reframe what we say to influence our thinking. Have you ever noticed that the words you speak during your day have a big influence on your thinking? Now, there's two kinds of talking. There's the talking out loud, and there's the self-talk. Now, Carla's going to come on our, la- on our fifth week and spend most of her teaching time on self-talk. But what I want to talk about is the words you say out loud Uh, One of our worship leaders two weeks ago uh, gave an opening that was about, uh, you know, the words we sing together are really important because when you say those words, those words create faith in your heart. And I've noticed that. Now, when you say negative, discouraging words, when you say words about the glass is always half empty, that has an effect on your mind. And so if you're going to change your mind, one of the things you've got to do is say words that are hope-filled and positive, whether you quite believe them at this point or not. Since the accident, I've had to reframe my thinking. You know, in the beginning, my whole definition was I lost three of the people I love the most. And that's true. That's true, I did. And then I needed to decide in my mind, is that all I have to say? Or can I say out loud, their lives 
were a gift to us from God. And when I stand up and say, you know, Ben, Charlie, and Bailey were an incredible gift to us from God. That's almost the opposite of focusing just on their loss. And so uh, that's a part of this. What you say out loud, maybe, uh, is, is very important. Some of you have watched me with this. Uh, several months ago, I taught on heaven. And what did I teach? I, teach, I said, uh, this may not be totally biblical. I'm not sure I'm exactly right on this. But then I declared out loud that when I get to heaven, Ben, Charlie, and Bailey are going to meet me there. And Charlie's going to say, Grandpa, can I have a... Uh, Bailey's going to say, Grandpa, can I have a back ride? Now, what am I doing there? I'm speaking out loud things that are true that are going to change the way I think, which will then transform my life. So lately, people are calling me who lose sons and daughters. And on our whole staff, who do they want to talk to? Well, me, of course. Because I know what it's like to lose a grown son and two grandchildren. Now, how do I get ready for that? I need to get my mind thoughtful. I need to lead with my mind and say, yes, it's the pits, and yes, it's the most painful thing I've ever had to live through and walk through. And it still hurts every day. But, now here's the but. One of the goods that can come from this. See, I'm saying it out loud. One of the goods that can come from this is I can help other people who are in that same pain. Right? So how do you move from discouraged to hopeful? One of the things is how you talk about it out loud. Number two, we need to focus on where we have influence and not where we simply have concerns. Okay, we have a diagram of this. This diagram actually comes from Steve Covey, but Jesus actually lived this way. Um, the idea is there's a whole bunch of things in the world that we have concerns about. You have concerns about how your kids are going to turn out when they uh, leave home. You have concerns about um, how your parents are going to do this. You have concerns about how your workplace is going to go in a direction. You have concerns about is this new company going to buy my company. You have concerns about is the country going in the right direction. You have just this huge thing of concerns. You might even use the word worries. But where do you put your focus? You put your focus where you have some control. It's amazing how many people come into my office and for an hour they want to tell me how they wish somebody else would do something. And eventually I stop them. And I say, you have no control over somebody else. What are you going to be able to do to change um, this thing. What can you do? And one of the things that uh, people have noticed is as I look at what I have influence and control over, and as I work there, that circle gets bigger. And so one of the ways we need to reframe our thinking is say, what is it I have control over? So uh, the accident, I get in my car, I drive for 20 hours, I'm, at, uh, I'm in Tallahassee. I get up that next morning at the hotel, and my concerns are like huge huge. I mean, why did this happen? Why couldn't Ben, why couldn't God have arranged five seconds later so they wouldn't have been in the accident? Why, why, why? What, what, what? What's the future going to be? I didn't even know what the future was that afternoon. I didn't know how Kaya was going to be. I didn't know how Aaron was going to be. I didn't know how my wife was. I, I got concerns everywhere. You know what I needed to do that morning? I needed to get up and eat a healthy breakfast. I need to get in my car 
and go encourage somebody. That's what I had control over. That's all I had control over. And as I focused on that, what I had control over, I can control myself. I can get out of bed. I can eat a healthy breakfast. I can have a, several cups of coffee. I can, uh, that's not necessarily good. I can uh, go to the hospital and encourage Kaya and Aaron. That's what I can do. And all the concerns I have, don't waste too much time there. And uh, the third thing, this is like huge. I've noticed lately that people want answers to questions so they can put faith in the answers. I've noticed a lot of people come into my office or talk to me downtown or in the coffee shop, and what they're saying is, if I could just have these answers, my faith in God would be stronger. Bonk. You're wrong. You'd be putting faith in the answers, not in Almighty God. Oh, is this biblical, what I'm saying? Yes, it definitely is. The book of Lamentations, I don't know if you know that book in the Old Testament. Our college ministry just finished a three-week series on Lamentations. I did the final talk. And Lamentations is funny. The, uh, Jeremiah is spending five chapters basically lamenting everything wrong in his life. Uh, enemies have taken over the country. Enemies have burned down the temple. Enemies have destroyed the Torah, so their whole faith is gone. Enemies, he's actually a slave now. Everything that's wrong is wrong. And for two and a half chapters, he kind of yells at God. Everything is wrong. Some of you feel that way this morning. It's like, this world is tough. And in fact, uh, just before he says these verses I'm going to read, he says, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He's talking about God. God has broken my teeth out with gravel. Do you know that across all cultures, the fifth biggest worry of people across all cultures, all time, is you'll lose your teeth? The second biggest one is you'll show up in public naked. The fifth one is you'll lose your teeth. And uh, the reason is because if you lose your teeth, then you're really dependent on others. And in other cultures, if you lose your teeth, it's hard to get nourishment and all this. So he says, I've got all these big, big, big worries. And then he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Okay, now, here's, here, there are five positive verses in the whole five chapters of Lamentations. Here they are. 321. Yet... Even though I'm discouraged, even though I'm mad at God, yet this I call to mind. I'm going to set my mind in this way. Even though my religion feels like it's lost, my country's lost, I'm now a slave, yet this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. What gives a guy in this situation hope? Next verse. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Do you ever feel like life is so hard, what you want to do is curl up in a fetal position and lay on the floor? I have felt like that. I just want to curl up and just lay down somewhere. And what does Jeremiah say? He says, because of the Lord's great love, 
we are not consumed. We are not going to put ourselves in a fetal position and lay on the floor. We're not going to give up to discouragement. And then what does he say? Why? For his, God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Some of you came in this morning thinking, if I could get some answers, my faith would be stronger. Your faith has to be only in a God who loves you and is good. And he knows the answers. I've learned this since the accident. I still have 25 questions. They're going to go unanswered my whole life. And it would be easy for me to say, God, if you just give me those answers, I'll have more faith. He's not going to do it. Because faith isn't in answers. Whether it's what your future is or what your past has been or whatever, faith is in God. Like we sang a few minutes ago, he's a good, good father. So we were sitting around with the teaching team and saying, how can we help our congregation like change their minds? How can we do it? What can we do besides like being a talking head up here and talking? And we decided for this five weeks, we're going to invite our congregation to say a prayer, the same prayer, every day for a week, and then we're going to change the prayer, and you say the next prayer every day for a week, and then we're going to change the prayer and say the next prayer. For five weeks, we're asking you to pray a prayer every day. And we wrote the prayer for you. This is a prayer about my teaching. Some of you who have been on the daily scriptures, 2,000 people get our daily scriptures every day, and open it up. 2,000 people get it and open it. Um, uh, this has been on there. It's also in your bulletin. We have a slide for this prayer. I'm going to ask you uh, to pray it with me right now as the band comes. The band can come and be ready. And uh, we're going to pray this prayer. And why? We're hoping praying this prayer for seven days would move you a little bit from discouragement to hope. Let's pray together. Dear God, uh, let's stand and pray. Stand and pray. So we're ready to sing. Dear God, thank you for loving me, for being faithful to your promises, and for the secure future you have for those who follow Jesus. Help me to focus my mind upon you and your promises instead of my worries and problems. Help me find hope instead of discouragement in areas where I struggle. Help my life be filled with hope so that I can be positive influence on those who are touched by my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.